0: Hello again, my name is Anne-Marie Zanzel, and welcome to Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA Stories. I am an ordained minister, bereavement counselor, conversationalist, spiritual wanderer, later in life lesbian, changemaker, blogger, author, mom of four beautiful children, wife to my lovely wife, Tonda McKay, a northerner living in the South and trying to figure it all out. I share the stories of people who are coming out later in life to the LGBTQIA community and other queer stories. These stories are compelling, heartbreaking, joyful, and inspirational. I started this podcast because we need to normalize exploration and sec- of sexuality and gender at all ages. Plus, visibility is vital to the queer community. It's never too late to be who we are created to be. My guest proved that. Rebecca is a mom of three who works as a clinical psychologist specializing in reproductive mental health and parenting. Over the past three years, she made the incredible difficult decision to end her marriage and leave Orthodox Judaism to live authentically as an openly gay woman. Welcome, Rebecca, it's so nice to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me, Anne-Marie.
0: So Rebecca, tell me your story.
1: Um, So I think it probably starts in childhood. Um, I grew up as the oldest of five kids um, in in a family that um, was becoming more religious in in Orthodox Judaism and uh, My family was really drawn to it because of the strong family um, emphasis on family and family meals and family time and the spiritual elements. Um, And I grew up, I really liked the structure Mm -hmm. and rules and the sense of community. And I, as a a pre-adolescent, I made a lot of good friends in that community and kind of jumped right in. Um, I think it was always at odds with, you know, some feminist and progressive values that my parents held, but I kind of sat with the contradictions in it. Um, And I married my best friend um, quite young, right after college. And um, he is a rabbi, um, very progressive and a lovely human being. And We were married for 17 years and, um, you know, about three years ago, um, I fell in love with a woman and began the difficult journey of self-exploration to figure out what on earth that meant Mm -hmm. and what it meant about me and what it meant about my marriage and my future. And, um, it has been a very difficult journey to try to figure that out and, I did make the decision to leave my marriage um, so that I could live authentically as gay, um, and also made the decision to stop um, following Orthodox Judaism, which was a long process um, for me, probably over the course of the past 10 years, longer than kind of my exploration about my sexuality. And here I am today.
0: So I have some questions for you. Um, (laughs) So a lot of times when people, as my observation as somebody who is in faith, though Christianity um, is that a lot of times um, people gravitate when there's a lot of chaos in a home when people are younger or chaos in a home, sometimes people that have sort of chaotic homes sort of gradi- grav- gravitate towards more conservative um, religious traditions because it has all the rules and all the answers and you know exactly what to do in it. And it, it just provides everything. It just tells you if you do this, this, and this, then this, this, and this will happen. Um, was that like for you when you were young in your family? Or, I mean, not like really? it's very unusually, it's unusual. Most people fall away from faith you know, as, 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 um, but your family went towards it. So what do you think the impetus for that was? Um,
1: for my family, I think it was, um, my parents were living, you know, away from family. Um, they were both physicians and busy building their careers. And my dad was working long hours and the structure of religion created dedicated family time, Mm -hmm. um hard to implement without the structure of religion. I think my dad is very, um, intellectual and spiritual and mm-hmm. was drawn to a lot of the, um, those aspects of Judaism. Um, I think for me, I, I don't think my family was chaotic. Exactly. Mm-hmm. In five kids, there's going to be some chaos, but Yeah, absolutely. I think I was a rather anxious kid and I think religion Gave me a sense of structure and control. If I do this, like good things are going to happen, or, you know, this is what I do. And there was less uncertainty within the framework of religion, um, which I think for me was what drew me to it.
0: Did it help your anxiety?
1: <laughs> I think it probably accommodated my anxiety. I don't think it um, got to the underlying core issue.
0: So, uh, so what do you mean by accommodate? I don't understand.
1: <laughs> it, um, it was a band-aid in certain ways where certain, cho- I didn't have to face certain choices because they were taken away with religion. You know, It's like, I didn't have to go to the big public high school where I had to deal with you know, hundreds of classmates. I could go to a school where I literally had three kids in my class Mm -hmm. Um, And so for kind of being socially anxious, if I could do it under the framework of religion, I could make that choice, I didn't have to face certain fears. Mm -hmm. Um, I also kind of had an idea of like, what's expected of me? What are my next steps in life? What am I supposed to do? And having the sense that like, there's, you know, a reason and I'm supposed to serve God in these ways I think I found, found appealing and gave me a sense of safety and comfort. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think it didn't get to the core of why I was anxious. It just helped me avoid certain situations that might've been triggering.
0: Well, because you and I have talked and because you were, you know, I mean, I, I, I view, it was interesting. Rebecca and I were talking and I view her as like such this modern career woman. And, and she is all that, but she was talking about not having ever been in a bar before, or not going out dancing and drinking, and I was like, "God, I, I, I didn't even think about that with you." And mm-hmm. so, there were things as you grew up in modern, modern America, there are mm-hmm. things as a young woman you didn't do, like. And so, what are some of those things?
1: So I grew up modern Orthodox, where there's more of an integration with sexual, sec, um, secular culture yeah. and. Um, religious culture. So, you know, all of the rules aren't followed, but I I think there were, you know, stricter gender expectation roles. And, you know, to some extent, boys were allowed to experiment sexually or with drugs or alcohol, but girls who made that choice were seen as, I mean, I hate to use the word, but they were like a slut or, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not good girls. And I was a good girl girl. I followed the rules. I think I had a lot of social anxiety. So the idea of like dancing at a concert or totally terrified me. But if I didn't do it because I was religious, I had something to hide behind. Um, So I I didn't go to a concert until I was in my Um, Mm thirties. I don't think that's true for every modern Orthodox teen. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of modern Orthodox Jewish teens do go to bars or um, but a lot don't. So there's some mm-hmm. barriers there. But I didn't go to a concert. I didn't go to a dance. Growing up, like you're not really supposed to touch um, people of the opposite sex, not even like a high five. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I went through high school, I became more religious um, mm-hmm. in that regard of like following those rules and dressing modestly, like going from wearing pants to not wearing pants.
0: hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So let me a quick question: Can you drink in modern orthodoxy? You can. Um, I think there
1: is all there is still. I think this sense that women don't drink as much as the men, mm-hmm. um, that like good girls don't drink. So
0: it sounds like not off. like an actual law against yeah. drinking alcohol. But it sounds like there's a lot of emph- emphasis on how women are supposed to behave and is it the is it is there equalness on the sense of how men are supposed to behave and are women held more accountable for their behavior versus men
1: yes i mean i think that they're you know while they talk about modesty for example and you know women, there are a lot of rules about um, modesty, like women are supposed to cover their collarbone and cover their elbows, and they have to wear skirts that cover their knees. And some people say they have to wear stockings or cover their legs or can't wear sandals. You know, Don't wear a bathing suit. When you're married, you cover your hair with a wig or hat. Um, And while they say, well, that's for your own integrity and dignity, there's also kind of this undercurrent of, well, you don't want the men to be attracted to you and sin. Mm-hmm. And, then the women are needing to take on burden to accommodate men.
0: Right. Um, and, and it's sort of like a lot like this, it's similar in, in very conservative Christian cultures too, that you dress a certain way so that you don't invite attention of men because you're responsible for their behavior ultimately.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, and I think for me, some of these messages were more subtle. Mm-hmm. I mean, my. Parents were well educated. They grew up in Jewish um, families. My mom was a huge feminist growing up and, and still were very socially liberal. Um, so it was hard to reconcile some of the messages that I got of like, you have to achieve, like you better, you know, you better go to college, go to graduate school, um, you know, have a prestigious career. Mm-hmm. But also family is the most important thing. You're supposed to be a mother. You're supposed to be a wife. Um, and, and like, that's what good girls do.
0: Well, and also it makes your plate incredibly full. Yeah. To be, to be, to do, because I know your job, I know what you do. And it's a very important job and you've trained hard to be to be, to do this job. And also I know what type of, I know how much you would love your children and like how much you're like, like you're always talking about baking cookies with them or doing this with them and doing, taking walks and stuff like that. That is a very busy, busy, busy full life.
1: Yeah, and I had a lot of conflict about that. Ironically, I chose becoming a psychologist because I thought it was a more family friendly field than for instance, medicine. Mm And I wanted to have work family balance. And, you know, as a rabbi's wife, even though my husband didn't explicitly, he would never put those types of expectations on me, um, did, you know, I did a lot of entertaining. So a lot of cooking and hosting people new to the community or new to the school. And, you know, I went through different periods that I worked more or less to be able to manage family responsibilities like you know taking the mommy track mm-hmm. a lot of weight
0: mm-hmm. um, but that's yeah. changed now right In in some ways because now that you're you're divorced now and so has that changed for you
1: yes I'm working full-time um mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. and I you know I certainly being divorced and co-parenting my husband and I Are no longer, there's much less of the division of labor. You know, he does laundry in his house, um, even though I always used to do the laundry. And now I screw things together and have a power. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm very proud of myself for being able to do that. Very gay, Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, power (laughs) duels. Yeah, I was the person who never did that. I didn't know how to do that. I never managed money. And, being divorced has forced me to be able to learn how to do certain things that I really delegated to my husband to do um, because I was like kind of anxious about them or they were out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And in that way, it's been both scary and empowering. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. So you said that like it was, you know, that your deconstruction of your faith started like 10 years ago, way before, um, you know, you started to think about your sexuality. Um, What happened? Like, why did you start saying, okay, wait a minute, maybe this isn't where I belong anymore?
1: So um, my husband and I went through pretty significant infertility and Mm -hmm. uh, recurrent miscarriages over the course of five years after having um, our oldest daughter. And it was a brutal time. Um, And particularly in a community where everyone has a baby every other year. Mm -hmm. So all of my friends were constantly pregnant and I had a really difficult time kind of being a part of the community and trying to be a community figure in the community when I was suffering so privately and kind of needing to pretend like everything was okay Um, and I got very angry at God, I think for, um, but more so at the Jewish community for how difficult it is to be different in any way, Mm -hmm. Um, very little room, um, for heterogeneity and, you know, and this was not by my choosing, um, And I know people go through tragedy all the time and can bring up existential questions. And for me, it was less about God and more about kind of the structure of the community that felt really harmful to me. Mm -hmm. I think there are many benefits of a community. You know, people are always ready to cook for you um, when you have a baby or, you know, if you lose someone and, but everyone's also like knows everything about, what's going on. And there's not a lot of privacy and Mm -hmm. not necessarily understanding for people who are different in any way or don't follow the rules. And I think that was the beginning of the unraveling of my faith Mm -hmm. where I began to say like, this is really hard for me. I don't know that I can live like this. I don't know that I like this. And I struggled with it for a long time feeling like, well, I made the decision to be in this faith and to be married to someone who is dedicated to this space. And I have to figure out a way to cope with it. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, But you made that decision incredibly young. Like you were 21 years old.
1: Yeah, and I thought I knew
0: everything. (laughs) (laughs) Can I ask you a question? You keep, you know, you've mentioned good girl a couple of times. And I was thinking about, about how when a good girl follows the rules, everything should, Like, like when you, you know, like if I'm a good girl, this, this, and this will happen. Well, you were a good girl and you still are a good girl, (laughs) whatever that means. Right. And, and so you, you had to struggle with something that, that for some people comes very easily and you really had to struggle. Did that is, was that the like, Hey, listen, I've done everything right. Um, why is this happening like when i look at my ordination pictures rebecca they are so painful for me to look at because it is the last time the last picture of myself my ex-husband and my four kids standing in front of a church with my robes on and it was like fuck god i have been (laughs) such a good girl and like my world just got torn apart when i came out and so like, that's how I like, I was so angry because I had been a good girl and like I'd gotten married. I did everything I was supposed to do and and I still wasn't happy. And you know, did you like, did that happen with you too? Or was it something else? I think, um, I, think
1: I did have this sense of like, oh, I thought like if you do everything right, mm-hmm. good
0: things happen you You doubt your eyes and crush your teeth
1: yeah and I did it's like I studied hard so I got into college I went to graduate school it's like you just you know you're nice to people and people are nice back and this like cause and effect and so the you know the fact that I couldn't get pregnant and people around me were getting pregnant did feel really unfair so then I had this realization okay like life isn't fair Mm -hmm. I was wrong to expect that it would be fair Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think I felt very constricted by the structure of the Jewish community in that I felt fake. I felt the necessity to put on a face and be like, I'm okay. It doesn't matter. And I didn't want to do that for the sake of the Jewish community. I wanted privacy to mourn. I wanted the ability to explore to act out my anger at God Mm -hmm. that I didn't really have like if I wore pants you know someone's going to report it back to the principal that you know the rabbi's wife is wearing pants and I just I wanted more independence than I had from Mm -hmm. the Jewish community so for me I didn't want to follow all the rules. And I didn't, I kind of felt like, well, God's going to understand if there's a God. I think at this point I sort of landed on agnostic. Yeah. I don't know, but I didn't really feel like God would care. But I, I knew if that other people not, would
0: care. No, I don't think that, that God would care. You
1: know? And that I didn't like it, that other people could dictate what I could or couldn't do if I didn't really want to. I think yes. I felt very frustrated. Like it wasn't really part of my value. Mm -hmm. to maybe not wear pants but I felt like I had to or to cover my hair because that's what you do if you belong to this community and I don't want to make people upset Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so being a good girl came at a cost to my
0: well and also worrying about what other people think right
1: yeah I've always been really good at that (laughs)
0: yeah but you're actually have really really grown because so As you unpacked all this stuff, did it start opening doors for you to consider other things, and I'm talking about specifically about your sexuality now. And I know you met somebody and that's often the we in our later in life community we call that a catalyst. Um, and there are some women that you know come out and they haven't met anybody, but there are some women that meet somebody and all of a sudden like, um, it makes them start to question their sexuality and question that, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not straight because I find this person attractive. So yeah.
1: what happened I mean, with you? I think I, you know, I think certainly I thought, you know, maybe the stress of, and I want to be mindful of privacy, but mm-hmm. I kind of thought I wasn't a physical person mm-hmm. uh, and, and it was a deficiency in me. Mm-hmm. I never considered that I was gay. I never really thought about it. Mm-hmm. And I, boys liked me in high school and I liked mm-hmm. that they liked me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I never really thought about it. It also wasn't ever
0: modeled for me. Right. I mean, there was no representation in your community whatsoever.
1: No. And so it never even occurred to me or had you know, that people really did that. I sort of knew about it, but it was on the periphery. Um, And so I think that in certain ways, my work um, paved the path for me to consider, you know, other um, aspects of my identity. So for instance, working with women to help them find their voice Mm -hmm. and empower them um, kind of made me look inward at ways that I was unhappy and how I wanted to find my voice. And I think it started as professionally becoming more Mm -hmm. confident professionally um, and taking on more leadership roles and then um, kind of challenging some of my preconceived notions about myself and others and realizing how much um, social conditioning and played a role in my identity. And... Um, I guess, how am I trying to say this, that I accepted certain things as facts um, because of my experiences and my culture, but my job helped me see different aspects of my city, um, different aspects of different communities, of different religions, of different races, of different experiences, socioeconomic And I realized like I grew, I think I realized how insular and sheltered and privileged my upbringing was. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it, I think it kind of burst a lot of bubbles and I had to look at myself more honestly.
0: Well, it it being exposed to diversity is the best thing that can ever happen to us because you realize that um, there are so many different ways to live your life than the one you were taught and you were taught to live your life, that condition, to live your life that way. And you, and you hadn't, you had gone to a Jewish, you know, a Jewish high school where there was three kids in your class and probably a Jewish college. Did you?
1: I went to a Jewish college also.
0: So, you know, it was just small and insular and everybody was the same way. And I think about the, the, the children that were so obviously gay that they had a glass closet, you know, the kids like that Mm -hmm. and how did they survive in a a community like that. They probably left pretty early, did they?
1: I think some did. I think, you know, definitely there there was a range of acceptance, I think, mm-hmm. um, different families. Mm-hmm. and But I think it's really hard to be an integrated member of Orthodox Judaism, at least in my city, being openly gay. It's just mm-hmm. marriage isn't accepted it's a sin to act on, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, like gay sex. So
0: so like in Leviticus, they specifically talk about male, you know, and it's more about um, uh, power, you know, sexuality and power. Like, is it considered sinful for women as well?
1: So I don't know. I think it's... (laughs) I don't fully know. I think it hasn't (laughs) been written about. I don't know that it appears anywhere in the Bible, almost Mm -hmm. because I don't like women were kind less relevant.
0: Right. In
1: general. Um, I think it might be less of a sin, almost because it wasn't acknowledged as a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, as I've um, kind of moved on in my life, I realized that a friend of mine told me, "Oh, well, Ruth and Orpa were like actually. There was a lot of people that say that they were gay, and ironically, and I have, Naomi too. Na- oh, Ruth her. and Naomi, yeah. Yeah. Have, and I have um, a beautiful watercolor print of the Book of Ruth. Um, that's rainbow, actually. That my dad gave mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and now it has a whole new meaning <laughs> to me. And I have it in my." Um, new house but
0: I actually have a book of, about Ruth and Naomi by Joan Chitterser who's a very famous um Roman as, a, as she's a nun. I'm not sure if she's Episcopal or Catholic but she is it's beautiful and it's kind of you're right it has a rainbow on the back it has a rainbow somewhere on the cover yeah I yeah. it felt
1: very symbolic to me when I realized that but I so I'm sorry now I forget the initial question and whether oh, I answered
0: Um, I think, I believe we were talking about if sexuality between, sex between women were a sin, but we can move on from that because Mm -hmm. you said that you really don't know in Orthodox Mm -hmm. Judaism. So I guess my next question is, is that you started to fall in love with somebody. and, And since we're just really sort of focusing on the religious part of this, what happened for you when you started to realize probably oh shit I'm falling in love with somebody <laughs> and and it's it's somebody that I'm attracted to and in a way that I've never been attracted to somebody in my before in my life. Like 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 what was going through your head like I can only imagine how I'm assuming overwhelmed you must have felt.
1: Yeah I, that would be an understatement. <laughs> I think it's completely destabilizing mm-hmm. to realize that I thought I knew myself and really um, kind of aspects of myself that I had taken at face value and as facts were suddenly challenged. And I think I am a person that really always likes to strive for the truth and a value of mine is authenticity and being genuine. And once I started to realize this about myself, I needed to figure it out. Um, I couldn't put it back in the box. I needed to figure out what it meant about me. And I was honest with my husband about that. Um, it was very difficult for him and for me. Um, but I, I couldn't accept aspects of myself anymore Mm -hmm. that I was not physical, um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, that I could be content um in a heterosexual marriage. Mm -hmm. And I needed to figure out what this meant about me. And you know, I stopped being a good girl (laughs) and broke a lot of rules. Um
0: but did you stop being a good girl or or did you become an authentic girl? Well I guess it depends on
1: on (laughs) defining it. I think stop following the rules of my community and the norms. Um, You know, I think it's interesting that you asked before, like, is lesbian sex a sin? And I'm like, I don't know exactly, but it's certainly not accepted culturally Mm -hmm. within Mm -hmm. Orthodox Judaism. So there's this dichotomy of like, what's Jewish law and what's culture. And Mm -hmm. I think I have the biggest problem with is the culture aspects of the culture. There are many beautiful aspects, but Mm -hmm. that I like are polarizing or judgmental.
0: So I know this has been a long process for you. It's been a couple of years at least. And, you know, um, what has been the repercussion? I know that you and your ex-husband have a very cordial and loving co-parenting relationship with your children and stuff. But what has been the ramifications for you personally within the community now that you've sort of left it and you're not the um, rabbi's wife anymore? Like like what has happened and, and how have you overcome some of the things that have happened?
1: Well, I think um, a lot of people are either personally hurt by my decision, don't agree with my choices um, and aren't talking to me. Um, There have been some people who have reached out in incredibly warm and authentic ways and supportive. Um, And there are some people that talk about me behind my back (laughs) or won't sit with me. And I don't fully know entirely. I mean, I am isolated from the Jewish community. I'm not participating in a lot of the activities that I used to, which I know is hard for my kids who still go to a Jewish day school and synagogue. Um, but I don't feel able to do that right now. Um, to some extent, I'm isolated. I also feel free of needing to do something that I don't believe in.
0: hmm mm-hmm. How do you, how do your kids feel about you? Um, Like, I know we want to be really respectful of their privacy as well, but how is it for them as, as be like, you know, mom's done something that um, is not quote unquote acceptable within the community. Um, How have you, let me ask it like this. How have you helped them navigate that?
1: Um, I think through honesty, Mm -hmm. I think acknowledge how difficult it might be and how strange it is to see your mom go through a transformation Mm -hmm. that impacts much, um, and have used it as an opportunity to talk about diversity and different choices and love and acceptance Mm -hmm. of different people. Um, you know, I think there are times that it's really hard for my kids, mm-hmm. um, that I'm not there with them during certain religious events. Um, and I think it's hard to understand, I mean, kind of from their developmental stage about complexity of uh, my decisions and the situation. Um, but I do hope that they will come to understand, um, and I want to be respectful of their choices with regard to religion um, and not push an agenda on them, which mm-hmm. can be challenging. I have to resist the urge sometimes. You have to keep yeah. keep the
0: mouth shut. <laughs>
1: yeah, them, yeah. But, you know, um, I think it was really heartbreaking when, you know, one of my kids said, well, can you wear a skirt when you come to school?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because there's the recognition that I'm different maybe than other women in the school mm-hmm. and how to navigate that. Do I say, okay, I'll make you more comfortable or do I say I'm going to be myself. Um, And some people might not like that, but we can, everyone's different. Or do I say it's respectful in that place that I would wear a skirt. Mm-hmm. So being able to try to consider that and take away, you know, my own feelings at times to set them aside to kind of figure out what my kids need has been mm-hmm. important and okay. talking about with my co-parenting partner yeah.
0: well I can imagine that's really hard because you didn't want to wear skirts when you were like married to their dad and, and fully involved in the community and now it's like ugh, it's like oh honey I don't really want to do that but you know the thing is, is that I think sometimes our kids don't understand in the moment, but I think when ten years from now, when they're you know young adults, they will they'll understand why, you know. But in the moment, they just like especially if they're middle schoolers or grade schoolers, they want their parents to be like everybody else's parents. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I think that's challenging whether kids are young or my adult children had a hard time with that too. And and not just that mom and dad got divorced and and they just wanted to be like every other family and and they're not anymore. And and it's been really interesting to watch them assimilate all the changes in their life and including one of their siblings coming out as non-binary. And like we went from like, white straight family to a queer family pretty damn quick in a couple of years, you know, and it was, it was really challenging for all of them, you know, Mm -hmm. so I understand.
1: Well, that gives me some hope. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, and also too, you know, I find that a lot of times kids when they're younger, they just don't understand things, but I think they have two loving adults, Your, your children in particular have two very loving adults in their lives and they will probably understand things when they get older and may not agree with it, but will still be respectful of the choices. And and I think we really wanna be clear, the choices are not about whether you're gay or not. The choices is is about how you're going to live your life as a queer person, because there are, we've talked about this and there are queer people that are not out within the Orthodox community because it's just not safe for them or they just can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, thank you for sharing your story with me. I appreciate it. So I've got a question for you. Do you have a coming out song?
1: So I think um, I really like the song In the Blood by John Mayer. Mm-hmm. Because I think to me, it speaks about the impact of social conditioning mm-hmm. and how much versus nurture. And for me, coming out was a lot about unpeeling some of those layers. hmm. Um, about, you know, is it in my blood or was it, you know, how much of my mother, how much of my father,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I really powerful of, you know, messages that I heard that I internalized versus really figuring out. I think I worked very hard to be who I thought I was supposed to be rather than really letting myself find out who I was, because that was really scary.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No one asked me to do that. But um.
0: but I think we all, I think to some degree, most people do that. I mean, I think we all sort of follow what our family expects us to follow. And there, there are the renegades, there are the rogues, there are people that, you know, I, I, I would love, I've always been really curious about like, you know, my wife and she came out like when, well, she got forced out of the closet. Mm-hmm. Um, it was her mother's friend that told her parents that, that Tonda was gay. And, um, so sh- and then they dis- they disowned her. And so she had like no choice, you know? Yeah. So, so the queer community became her family because her family basically at that time abandoned her. So, uh, you know, so that's like, I think about like people that came out young and what's the difference between them and us who've come out at older ages. And, and sometimes I think their queerness is not their journey to walk. They have other journeys they need to walk. So Mm -hmm. figuring out that out about themselves wasn't the thing they needed to do. They need to do other things. And so that's sort of how I've reconciled all this. But I'm really curious about what makes people, like especially people of who are, you know, maybe 40 and above, like what makes some people come out so younger and figure it all out younger versus people that don't? And like, I know, I think I've thought about this a lot because I did have, I sort of had examples, but not, um, but I was, I was in a very conservative Catholic family. So it just wasn't talked about, it wasn't an example. And I, and I think that like, I was so afraid of having any kind of relation, relationship with a woman that um, like, to me, I knew that if I started down that road, I didn't know if I could find my way back. And so mm-hmm. that's like, I sort of put up a wall for for that possibility. And so mm-hmm. I wonder if that's for other people as well. I think you say for you, it was just that it didn't even occur to you. Yeah. Until you fell in love, you know?
1: Yeah. I guess this Katy Perry song, I kissed a girl and like, <laughs> like, oh, sticks out. I'm like, Oh my, yeah, that's sort of <laughs> certain ways it's, you know, it yeah. made me realize oh point. this is why people make a big deal about this well yeah and it's oh
0: this is what yeah exactly why do people make a big deal about this and like I didn't understand any of that stuff until it happened to me like I I was a skeptic about love and passion I thought that was just sort of bullshit that was in movies and happened to an occasional person I didn't see that in my life at all it was really funny my older sister um uh once shared something about that and I remember I was like oh I don't want to talk about this with you because she's 15 years older than me so she's sort of like a mom image to me and I'm like and now I wonder if I was just terrified of it because I did like now I like think you know like she was my sister I should have been able to talk to her about something like that but I was just terrified because she she has a wonderful loving relationship with her husband that she's been married to for 50 plus years Mm -hmm. so um how about a book? Is there a book that really changed your perspective?
1: Um, I, I don't know so much about uh, my sexuality, but there's Far From the Tree by Andrew Solomon, which is essentially a book about parenting. Um, and in the first chapter, he talks about how he was he's gay and he talks about for him, um, you know, parents have this idea. What does parenting really mean? We often think our kids are going to turn out like us. And our kids, in reality, have identities that are vertical to us. You know, you're interested in sports, so your kid's interested in sports. You're liberal, so your kid's liberal. Or horizontal identities. Well, you're straight, but your kid's gay. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not our job to make our kids like us. It's our job to help them be who they are. And again, I think that speaks to social conditioning. It was a very powerful moment in my own parenting and a shift in my parenting. And I, I think I thought a lot about my own experience of being parented um, and whether it was my own internal perfectionism about like, this is who I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to have all these identities I think it's very liberating to think about this type of parenting. And then his book goes on to give examples of um, parenting kids who are very different, have very different identities from um, parenting a child with schizophrenia to parenting a criminal.
0: Um, wow. That sounds like so a great book. I really sort of run
1: Yeah, I sort of like all great.
0: 900 pages. Um, oh my God, 900 pages? I don't know if I can commit to that. (laughs) So how would you describe your life today?
1: (laughs) Far more complicated, um, to some extent, unpredictable. Um, I think there's been a lot of grief and sadness and also unbelievable joy. I feel so brave in certain ways and free, um, To kind of make decisions without worrying about what other people think. I read this article that talked about um, just getting more comfortable with people thinking what they think about you. And it's, you know, the quote was, I accept other people's faulty perceptions of me. Mm -hmm. I feel that a lot of like, I can't control how other people view my decision and choices. I know that I tried to navigate this as thoughtfully and carefully and kindly as possible. I know I made a lot of mistakes, but I really tried to do the best I could. And like, ultimately, that's what's most important to me. Um, And other people are going to have their own opinions, and I can't control it. And I can't let it rule my life anymore.
0: Well, and I also think it's such a and I think a lot of us who come out later in life, um, we often live by the expectations of others and we've done it our whole life. And a lot of us define ourselves as quote unquote, good girls and learning to let go of the expectations of others is what you need to do is, is to live as a out queer person in the United States and a lot of the world. So you just have to not care. And it's really amazing is like, as I have moved through this journey from going like, Oh, what does everybody think to like, hey, I don't care what you're thinking. I'm too tired. I've got other things to do. And it, and it's nice to like have, and it sounds like for you as well, it's nice to have sort of freed yourself from that bondage.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's empowering on a lot of levels, mm-hmm. personal religious and, you know, so many of the expectations I think, I perceived other people were putting certain expectations on me and they weren't necessarily. Um, I don't want to put it on other people entirely. I think a lot of it was my perfectionism and desire to please people and, Mm -hmm. you know, that complicated dynamic. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on this today, Rebecca. I really, really appreciate it. I really appreciate you sharing your story I think it will bring a lot of other women um, just comfort to know that there's other women out there like you who have navigated all of the things that you have navigated. So thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: You're welcome. And thank you for the opportunity and for the work that you do.
0: Thank you. It was nice seeing you today.
1: too.